Hey, welcome to Socialism for All. Today's date is October 22, 2023, and I just got a question in the YouTube comments that I thought would be worth making a short little video about, so we're just going to talk about that here. So the comments on the screen, and I want to say, you know, Socialism for All is aimed at people who are seriously interested in Marxism, Marxism-Leninism, history of communism, and the current struggle today. So we talk to people from all different levels of expertise and knowledge from more advanced and more experienced people to more beginners and people who are just sort of discovering Marxism. So to me, as long as a question is in good faith and seems sincere, I have no problem with people asking it. It's when people come up with attitudes or they seem like they're just trolling or trying to do interchannel drama or something like that. That's where I start having a problem and I may not respond to the comment or not publish it or whatever. In this case, this is a question I think somebody was asking sincerely. I have major problems with the way that they framed it. But again, it's something that we can discuss, and this is a really important issue, and we should discuss it. So it's kind of a two-part question. It's up on the screen there. I'm going to read the first line and quickly respond to that, then read the rest of it, and then give the whole response. So they asked, is the right line to take on Palestine that we should support their right to secession, but at the same time advise them that it will only strengthen their own bourgeoisie, while we, outside Palestine, have to demonstrate against our own government support for Israel. So, real quick answer, and again, I will come back and elaborate, but just to get this out of the way, on part A, should we support their right to secession? So that's not really correct framing. What's going on in Palestine is not secession from an existing country. It's a national liberation struggle. Palestine is struggling to establish itself and to push off colonial oppression. So it's not really the right to secession. And this comment was posted on a video about Lenin discussing the right of nations to self-determination, which basically was the right to secede or form their own country, like Lenin used the example of Norway a bunch of times. So I appreciate that this person was listening to that and then trying to you know, apply it to the world today. Unfortunately, in this case, the history of Palestine is kind of convoluted. I'll get into that in a minute. But basically, Palestine is not yet established, so it's not really seceding from anything. And again, we'll discuss that in a minute. As far as Part B, that we have to demonstrate against our own government support for Israel, absolutely. Yes, Israel right now is running what it describes in its own words as a, quote, total siege against Gaza. The population of Gaza is about 2.3 million people and about 50%, so over 1 million people, are under the age of 18. They're children. There haven't been elections in a long time. This whole thing of Israel trying to twist people's arms, starve them, and make them die of thirst, basically, while they're bombing hospitals and churches in Palestine to get people to renounce Hamas and all this stuff. Most of the people in Israel had nothing to do with Hamas coming to power. So this is just a complete non-starter. It's completely false. And Israel is withholding food, water, electricity from over a million children. This needs to be stopped immediately. And anywhere that you see propaganda trying to frame it any other way, no, sorry, turn it around. That's what we're looking at. You're talking about putting over a million children under total siege and basically starving them, keeping them in the dark, bombing hospitals and churches where people are seeking medical care and refuge. Even if, in the abstract, you support Israel in some way, I would definitely argue against that. But even if you support them in some way, you cannot support that. You just simply can't. It does not matter what Hamas did. It does not matter if the people in Palestine like Hamas. You can't do that. It's war crimes. You can't support that. And even if Israel, quote, wins this conflict, 
the long-term prognosis is bad for Israel. Is that really what you want to get in bed with? You really want to support laying siege to over a million children who had nothing to do with the situation politically. You are basically hitching your wagon to genocidal violence, you know, and reenacting a Holocaust-type event on the people of Gaza. It's just not going to get you to the place you think you want to go. All right, so continuing the comment, it says, I feel that the conditions in Palestine at the moment are such that it would be impossible to have a multi-ethnic state and that they have continuously proven the Palestinians wish to have their own nation state. Again, we're going to unpack this. I'm going to I have more to say about that, but let's continue. At the same time, I don't think that the conflict between Israel and Palestine will go away in a two-state solution, since they would both be subject to inter-imperialist competition, especially since it is such a poor region in resources. And even if Palestine becomes socialist, which it hopefully will become, it would probably be the victim of a lot of its former allies, I guess in the Arab countries they mean, turning against it, since all imperialists can agree on hating the socialist most. Seems like a rock and hard place situation. Okay, so let's back up because it's not actually as rock and hard place as you might be thinking. And so while I do encourage people to, you know, learn from socialist history and theory, we read a lot of Lenin and other authors, sometimes people who aren't as steeped in it and haven't studied it for quite as long of a time may try to apply analysis somewhat incorrectly. So I'm happy in this case to lend a hand and try to help straighten this out. I want to mention also, we're going to stick with the comment, but I want to mention also, before the end of this video, I'm also going to mention, there was an article by the Marxist-Leninist group Politsturm, which I generally think is a pretty good group out of all the organizations out there. I see them doing what I would consider probably the best work. Their article, though, which I read half of, and then this was sloppiness on my part, I read about half of it, said, oh, this is probably a good overview, and I posted it on the community tab on the YouTube channel. Basically just trusting Politsturm's reputation that I knew, you know, they've done good work, I like their About Us statement and other things I've seen. I know people who work with Politsturm, and it's generally pretty good. I posted this, and then I started getting a lot of critical feedback in the comments, and then I read the thing to the end. You know I'm a careful reader most times. We go over things word by word, line by line. I didn't do that in this case, and it's the last time that I won't. Because this statement was kind of really bad, I thought. I agreed with the commenters, actually. So I took it down and I posted a statement replacing it in the community posts. Um, if people want to read that and then post their constructive criticism, I think that that would be good. Because I would hate to see an organization that I think is generally as good as Politsturm is taking such a weird tack on a very well-established question like Palestine, which has been around for decades and decades. You know, unlike a Ukraine-Russia-NATO war kind of situation, which developed in like the last eight years, that you can, you know, it's a novel situation, not in principle, because it is an inter-imperialist war, but that particular situation really kind of popped up more or less in the last decade in its present form. You could see that, you know, the whole discourse, debate, discussion had not fully evolved among the community. Palestine, Israel, though, there's literally nothing new about the situation. It's been going on for a very long time. And again, it's a well-established question. It's not really time to start making these weird, um, you know, novel analyses of Palestine when there's already a very clear-cut way to understand this problem. Anyway, that's my opinion. And now to apply that opinion to answer this question. So starting over, is the right line to take on Palestine that we should support their right to secession, but at the same time advise them that it will only strengthen their own bourgeoisie? So again, this is not actually a case of secession. 
So like Norway, for example, that was a case of seceding from Sweden, an established country. And, you know, would that be a progressive move on the whole? Again, the Leninist position on the right of nations to self-determination, such as secession, is that you adamantly, unquestioningly must support the right, even though you may not personally support every particular case where the question of secession comes up. So in that case, as Lenin was saying, it was the duty of Marxists to support the Norwegian workers and the Norwegian population's right to secede, whether or not you personally supported it. But here's why that isn't the way to think about Palestine. So what is Palestine in the first place? So currently, only 138 of the 193 countries in the United Nations recognizes Palestine as a country. Here's a map of the countries that do and don't. So basically what happened here is Turkey used to have more influence in this region about a century ago. Then after World War I, the British came in and they made mandatory Palestine with the help of the League of Nations, which was basically the predecessor of the United Nations. So basically then, about a century ago, Palestine was not really a country. It was like a British territory. Was Britain a colonial power? Absolutely. Okay, so this is British colonialism. So one of the strategies for administrating this region long term was to create a Jewish homeland in this area. This is a proposition of the British colonialists. In 1917, Lord Balfour basically made the Balfour Declaration, which made this promise. So then throughout the 20s and the 30s, there were already some Jewish people living in this area as it has religious significance, but primarily at this time, the population was Arab. But under the British rule, they were inviting more and more Jewish people to move there. This created some conflicts as Jewish people bought up some of the land. But it didn't really reach a head until after World War II. In 1947, the United Nations proposed that mandatory Palestine, this British colonial entity, be turned into one Jewish state and one Arab state. So sort of the beginning of the two-state solution. But then the people who had been living there said, what? Where does this Jewish state come from? This is just an invention out of whole cloth by European imperialists. You know, first the British colonial power, and then after World War II, there was the additional motivation of Germany, Nazi Germany, having so grievously injured the European Jewish population with the mass murder called the Holocaust, that there should be some reparations for that. And sure, why not give them a piece of Germany, you know, your own land? Why are you giving away other people's land? But that's imperialist logic. You know, we're colonists. We can just take over places. Here, go have this land and, you know, have fun with the people who already live there and have been living there for hundreds of years. So the plan for one Arab state and one Jewish state was not really well received within the Arab population. It doesn't really take a genius to put two and two together and recognize that as the colonial project that it is. And indeed, there was a lot of Israeli violence and forcible seizure of land, and this was not a peaceful process. It's what you would expect from a settler colonial project trying to take over territory that other people already live on. So from that time, the 1940s, there were wars, Israeli territory grew, Palestinian territory shrank. So although Palestine wasn't recognized as a country by every place on earth, you don't need international recognition unanimously to set up a government. So they did. And there are various parties, organizations, and factions within the Palestinian leadership, ranging from right-wing, more religious, fundamentalist type things, just like you would see anywhere else in the right wing, 
and then more secular left-wing and communist organizations. This goes all the way back to the beginning, and I can't run down every single organization in this video right now, but you can definitely go look it up, and I'll put a link in the description or a pinned comment. So when we're trying to understand this coalition that was fighting for the national liberation of Palestine, for a long time not accepting this two-state solution of like, yes, have an Israeli Jewish state, because the European colonialist imperialist powers said so, that was not really a widespread view in the indigenous population. So there was all kinds of resistance to Israeli colonization, including armed resistance, which is, again, typical of any kind of struggle against colonization of this type. You would expect to see that anywhere. Particularly, let's put this in historical context in terms of where was the global class struggle at in the 1940s, 1950s, 1960s? Well, for part of the 1940s, the common turn still existed. Then you had World War II, and there was a round of revolutions in Eastern Europe, China, Korea, then Cuba, Vietnam. So all of these struggles were going on in countries around the world, anti-colonial national liberation struggles. So Palestine in that context is really no different. And they were receiving support from the Soviet Union and also Maoist China. However, as we get into the late 70s, the neoliberal turn, well, what happens? In China, in the late 70s, Deng Xiaoping comes to power after Mao Zedong, starts taking the capitalist road. Now, we're not going to debate here whether the capitalist road really is some long-term ploy at socialism or not. We'll just say that for now, that is what they did. Because they did. It's a fact. Regardless of, you know, whether that plays into a long-term strategy or not, that's what they did in the late 70s. Part of that in order to not unduly piss off their new imperialist trade partners, China started to back off of and decrease the amount of funding and support for national liberation movements. This was not good for the left and communist portions of the national liberation coalitions within countries such as Palestine. So there's some support eroded. Then, what happens in 91? The Soviet Union completely dismantled. So this is another blow to organizations like the PFLP, a Marxist-Leninist organization within Palestine. Suddenly, there's a lot less, you know, quote, superpower support. That socialist camp, which had been there in the past, you know, this well-established, resource-rich bulwark for small liberation movements to lean on and get support from, that dried up. So what happened? as you get into the 90s and 2000s. Well, the left wing doesn't stop existing completely, but it does wither relative to the Islamic fundamentalist right wing. And so you see a relative upsurge of that in the 90s and 2000s. Enter here the United States war on terror, which they would much rather fight Islamic fundamentalists and other right-wingers, you know, the same type that they were funding in Afghanistan, the Mujahideen, against the Soviets, China was participating in that as well, by the way. But so what does the Mujahideen become? Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, as people sometimes called it in the 2000s, who were involved in the anti-war movement and critical of the U.S. is using global terrorism networks that it seems to at least partly control or have influence over to expand their reach. Oops, you got Al-Qaeda. We got to set up a U.S. military base. This started happening in West Africa, where we've recently seen coups against the French and U.S. military involvement. Anyway, coming back to Palestine. So what happened to the Palestinian National Liberation Coalition? Well, 2006-2007 was basically the most recent shakeup of leadership. And what has come out of that is Hamas controlling the 
Gazan territory, and Fatah, more secular, controlling the West Bank area. My understanding is partly Hamas came to power over Fatah with the use of force, and then groups like the PFLP, my understanding is they don't even consider either of those governments legitimate, either the Hamas or the Fatah-led governments, because of the lack of elections in the last 15 years. Now, that's not to say that left-wing groups are just going to say, you know, throw their hands up and abandon the struggle. The liberation of Palestine still must happen, even if it has the worst leadership that anyone could pick for it in charge. And actually, along those lines, you may have heard rumors that Israel helped to fund and create Hamas, sort of like we were talking about with al-Siyaeda. Well, that does seem to be true. There's an article from The Intercept that I put in the community posts a few days ago, and here's a screenshot from it now on the screen. I'll put a link to that again in the video description, or you can just look it up off the title. I have to say, though, the article frames the rise of Hamas as, quote, blowback or unintended consequences of prior actions by Israel. I don't think that that's a correct framing at all. I think that Israel, well, actually, not just I think, it says so in the article, that this was basically Israel's chosen enemy. In other words, if you are fighting against a liberation movement, that you can't get rid of the whole movement. That's not a realistic goal. Well, then what is a realistic goal? You can at least steer the leadership of that movement that you can't make entirely go away into a direction that at least is more advantageous or maybe less harmful to you. You pick your chosen enemy. You know, if you have to fight someone, who would you rather fight against? Israel's choice was Hamas as evidenced by the fact that they seem to have helped them get set up. Why? Well, all of the organizations have been involved in armed resistance, to my understanding. However, Hamas seemed to have been among the more violent. Is that helpful to Israel that they can maybe use some of that as PR to sort of justify the, quote, atrocities? Now, Israel is committing much bigger atrocities, and they're responsible for this entire situation in the first place as an occupying and oppressive power that stems from colonial legacies. But to people who can't think that far back or can't understand sociological currents very well, they will eat up that superficial propaganda of like, look at this bad thing Hamas did. Why is fucking any of this even happening in the first place, though, is the question that doesn't readily occur to them. And you can bet that the imperialist media is never going to try to train people to think that way. Okay, so that is a very cursory sort of skim over the surface of trying to understand some of the basics of the situation. You have a long-standing anti-colonial struggle for national liberation, same as you had in many other areas around the world. And in Marxist-Leninist theory, you know, we support what is progressive in terms of historical materialism, historical development, and national liberation is a necessary step in early capitalism, both for undermining the imperial and helping to free the imperialist power which is oppressing it. And so while Marxist, Marxist-Leninist, proletarian organizations and parties within a national liberation struggle will, of course, try to take the front position, take the lead, because then if the national liberation struggle is successful, you can then skip more readily to a social revolution, which puts the proletariat or maybe an alliance of the proletariat and peasantry into the front ranks of who is ruling society. But if the question before Marxists is just sort of sitting this one out while a colonial power oppresses you with its boot on your neck or joining in a national liberation effort, which includes a coalition involving national bourgeois interests, well, then the latter, joining that national coalition with national bourgeois interests, is the correct thing. We've seen it time and time again. 
That's not to say that that is a smooth or linear process. You can look at China, for example. China's national liberation struggle, fighting off Japanese imperialism and all kinds of other things as China emerged in the 20th century out of feudalism. Well, the Chinese Communist Party got established well, particularly in the north-northwest of China. So they kind of had their sphere of influence and their sort of, you know, locus of power and base camps. And they were not, obviously, you know, from a class perspective, aligned with the national bourgeoisie of China, the nationalists. But they had to work with them sometimes against Japanese imperialism and so on. This was kind of supervised in part by the USSR, sort of, you know, came in as a chaperone overseeing this popular front where there was class collaboration in pursuit of national liberation. That is a correct line, and it's worked many times in history. However, there's sort of rules to it. You know, it's not just sort of, uh, hey, we forget about class for the time being. You never forget about it, but it gets deprioritized because the first priority is the establishment of the nation. So right now, the literal existence of Palestine and of the people who are in Gaza, that is in question right now. So if you don't survive, there's no class struggle, there's no national struggle, there is nothing. So survival always comes first. Again, going back to the PFLP, they may not consider the Hamas-led government legitimate, but that also doesn't mean that they're sitting the fight out. They have a common enemy in the form of Israel, and if they lose that fight, Again, there will be no class struggle because there will be no Palestine. Are there things to criticize about Hamas? Absolutely. But there is, in my opinion, a difference between the relative peacetime where the members of a coalition are jockeying for power, the different parties or organizations are competing to see who comes out on top. That's totally valid. And that sort of struggle within the overall national liberation effort is something that has to happen. And again, one of PFLP's, for example, criticisms is that the uh, that struggle hasn't been conducted fairly, you know, that there haven't been the kind of elections that everyone agreed that they were going to have and so on. But is now, when Gaza is under siege, when Israel is bombing humanitarian aid trucks, trying to come in from Egypt, is now the time to try to litigate that? Or do you just have to buckle down because it's go time? Would I, a communist, rather see a left-wing secular organization at the head of the Palestinian struggle, or would I rather see a far-right Islamic fundamentalist group at the head? I think that that should be obvious, because not only could you say one might be a better leader than the other, but in the event of victory and survival, which at this point is an open question because of how brutal Israel is being and how much support Israel still has, but in the event of success, then that would position the left wing and the proletariat better for the subsequent class struggle. But right now, that again is an open question. So hopefully that's fairly clear as far as some of the background and the national liberation aspect of this. Let's go through the rest of the comment. I feel that the conditions in Palestine at the moment are such that it would be impossible to have a multi-ethnic state and that the Palestinians have continuously proven their wish to have their own nation state. Yeah, and we went over some of the reasoning for that from an anti-colonial perspective. At the same time, I don't think that the conflict between Israel and Palestine will go away in a two-state solution, since they would both be subject to inter-imperialist competition, especially since it is such a poor region in resources. Well, as far as it being a poor region in resources, I'm going to just sort of bracket that off. I think it's, you know, maybe four or five steps removed down the line, not really for the moment. So as far as the two-state solution, um, you know, a lot of people, including self-described communists, support 
a two-state solution according to the 1967 borders. So that was after Israel had already taken a lot of territory, but sort of freezing it at that point. Now, would this work? Well, we've already discussed that the people who live there, ultimately whose decision this is, and they seem to be willing to sort of fight to the death about it, and that's their decision because it's their land and they're fighting for it against a European and American colonialist, imperialist imposed settler colonial state in the form of Israel. So caveat here, at times, different groups, including Hamas, have been amenable to that. Sometimes with particular conditions, like there needs to be a referendum of the people of Palestine or this or that, but it has been considered. In fact, within the National Liberation Coalition, there have been some groups that have uh, disagreed to the point of considering other groups illegitimate because they supported a two-state peace process like in the 90s. So that is very contentious on the Palestinian side, but it's not like it hasn't been seriously considered. My opinion, though, as a distant observer and not an expert, but somewhat knowledgeable on the subject, is that Palestinians aside, Israel seems to have no commitment to a two-state solution primarily. So in other words, even if Palestine did agree that they'll get the international recognition, if they recognize Israel and so on, I don't know that Israel would hold to that. It seems to me that Israel's behavior indicates it would keep pressing to take over the entire region anyway. So they continually accuse the Palestinians, not without some basis, of you know wanting to fight to the death over the one-state idea. But I think that they're just as committed to a one-state idea, except that their one state is Israel. So on the one hand, you have the one-state solution of Palestine, which would represent a complete rejection of the colonial effort to take part of that land. And then on the other side, you have the one-state solution of Israel, which would basically be the complete dominance of the colonial power over that territory. And then, of course, Israel would have to contend with all of the external enemies on its borders because this behavior is not really endearing any of its Arab neighbors to Israel any more than they already were. So there's also the question of, in the different one-state solutions, how would rights be granted to people? Well, with the rise of the Islamic fundamentalists, probably the type of nation-state that they would be trying to set up would be some kind of Muslim supremacist state. Again, from a Marxist perspective, that would be a step up over the current situation, but it would not really be the best of all possible worlds by any stretch of the imagination. Because in a bourgeois nation-state, there is, the next stage, is the class struggle. And part of that is the struggle under capitalism for bourgeois democratic rights. That struggle is possible even in a far-right theocratic state like that, but you're basically coming from the worst possible starting point. If there was to be a Palestinian-led one-state solution, you would want to see that secular and democratic and things like that. Unfortunately, again, it is primarily Israel that has made the Palestinian leadership mirror itself, right-wing, theocratic, and religious supremacist. Whereas, you know, again, if the national liberation struggle was won with more of a left-wing secular coalition, you would set up a more democratic bourgeois state if not a fully socialist one, you know, off the bat. So right now, the two most likely options, in my opinion, are either Israel takes over everything, which is really bad, and then also possibly the Palestinians with the Islamic fundamentalists in the lead somehow win freedom and are able to establish a Palestinian-led one-state solution 
and there would be, you know, whatever level of democratic rights there are within that. Both of those options to some degree suck, but they do not suck equally. As Marxists, we support the national liberation struggle over the victory of colonialism, no matter who is running either. Although again, to the very end, every left and secular force within that national liberation effort should do its utmost to exercise influence and gain power. But no, you do not just roll over as a Marxist because your faction is not going to win and thereby jeopardize the entire national liberation struggle. That's not what we do. Okay, so I hope that those comments were helpful. Again, constructive comments, criticisms, additions are welcome in the comments. But continuing on, I just want to say a few words about the Politsturm article that I referenced earlier. So there are four sections to this article, and I'm just going to read a little bit from section four. I may do some extended criticism of this maybe in the next stream, but so this is some of the stuff that people were uh, pushing back on from, again, a Marxist-Leninist organization that often has good analysis, and this was pretty surprising, I think, to a lot of people. So section four, what should be the position of communists? Here's their stance, and you can contrast it with what I just said. One, reactionary forces are involved on both sides in the conflict, pitting the working citizens of Israel and Palestine against each other, pursuing the goal of establishing their own domination in the region. So again, viewed from the lens of the well-established question of anti-colonialism and national liberation, which extends throughout the whole history of Marxism-Leninism, I don't know how you come up with that. Continuing, behind each of the rival parties, so leadership of Israel, leadership of Palestine, are imperialist powers with interests in this region. Okay, so are we just separating out the entire history back to the Balfour Declaration, or what? Because I think that that's highly relevant to the entire development of the situation. Continuing, Israel is supported by American and European capital as a pillar of NATO in the region. True. Also, China is Israel's leading source of imports right now. So, yes, but anyway, continuing, Hamas and Palestine are supported by Iranian, Turkish, and Chinese capital. Not really. I mean, yes, but they're literally on the brink of not existing right now. I, I don't know where they came up with this, but trying to both sides a genocide, you know, this what's happening isn't a war anymore. A war is between two relatively equal powers. This is a genocide with Israel trapping 2.3 million people in an open air concentration camp, cutting off their food, water, electricity, internet, bombing hospitals and churches, bombing humanitarian aid trucks, and half this population are children. I don't know how you come up with some, this is some inter-imperialist conflict. No, wrong, wrong. So anyway, they're seeking to strengthen their own positions. This is Iran, Turkey, and China by weakening Israel. The Russian Federation is also interested in weakening the positions of Israel and Western capital. Really though? I mean, y yes, Western capital, obviously there is an inter-imperialist rivalry between Russia and NATO and the US. There's like a proxy war going on in Ukraine about that right now. As Marxist-Leninists, we don't take sides in inter-imperialist wars, but instead press for revolutionary defeatism and social revolution, turning the imperialist war into a war against the imperialists for class revolution. Is that on the table here? No, Palestine is in a national liberation struggle. The class struggle to that extent isn't even at stake at this point. So I think that that is horribly tortured. Um, point two, neither side can be supported by workers and communists. So to me, this amounts to genocide enabling by refusing to take a side. Continuing, the working people of Palestine and Israel were not the initiators of the conflict, 
but they are the ones who are paying for the chauvinist and xenophobic rhetoric of both ruling elites. So again, there's not really in this whole article much, if any, recognition, from what I recall, of Israel as a settler colonial project. Like, this was just set up a few decades ago, and, you know, like the settling of the United States, which if that were happening in the modern era, as the struggle to settle Israel is, if the settling of the United States were happening in the, you know, 20th, 21st century of struggles against colonialism and for national liberation. That's not something that people would have just let slip by and being like, well, both sides, I guess the indigenous people in the Americas are, you know, equally to blame somehow. What are you even talking about? So again, I think that this statement misses the mark. While supporting the genuine struggle of the Palestinians for a secular Palestine, Okay, but time out, that's not really what's happening. The struggle of Palestine right now is to exist. The territory keeps shrinking. Israel, under far-right leadership, is using genocidal language, displaying genocidal intent against the Palestinians. The struggle currently is not for a secular Palestine. The long-term struggle, again, four or five steps down the line, is for a socialist Palestine, just as, you know, the 10th step is like world communism. But as materialists, we know you have to put one foot in front of the other, take leaps where they're possible. But if you just try to impose some idealist stance onto this, which I don't accuse people of a lot, but I think is actually being done here. Well, if you do that, then you come up short, you end up with nothing. And in this case, nothing for Palestinians means literally no land. There will be no nation because there is no land and possibly no people. What do you think? Israel's just going to absorb the Palestinian population entirely and just treat them equally? That's not what they've been doing. Why would you think they're going to do it now? So if we can agree that there is a struggle for existence on the part of Palestinians, then we got to extricate ourselves from this kind of crazy idealist logic. So continuing, while supporting the genuine struggle of the Palestinians for a secular Palestine, communists must in every possible way resist attempts to turn the struggle into support for the Islamists. Well, you know, to the extent that it's too late to do that in this particular moment, you may get another chance for that in the coming years. But, you know, opportunities only present themselves so often. If your struggle is to survive now so that you might live to see the point a year from now, three years from now, whenever, to have another successful repositioning of parties within the Palestinian coalition, then, you know, do that. But if you don't survive today, you're not going to be able to do that. And I just, I don't see that being factored in here. So therefore, I think, you know, leaving out such a critical point leads to very, very flawed analysis. I'm very surprised, shocked, honestly, to see this from Paul Sturm. Anyway, so continuing the blind and one-sided position of a number of, and they mockingly put Marxist-Leninist in quotes, communist parties plays into the hands of the imperialists. What are you talking about? I mean, the imperialists are winning right now in that Israel keeps gaining land. The imperialists are running pro-Israel propaganda as they commit war crimes around the clock, 24-7. Are you seeing anything remotely like that for Palestine? I mean, the U.S. and U.K. and other governments have labeled the Palestinian resistance organizations, including their political parties, as terrorist organizations. You're literally not allowed to upload uh, statements of theirs onto YouTube. And believe me, you know, if we ever get to real serious class struggle, that's not going to bode well for us. So anyway, it's, you know, you got to pay attention to that now. But anyway, um, plays into the hands of the imperialists. I, I don't see how this doesn't play into the hands of the imperialists, trying to both sides a genocide. 
It simplifies and obscures the situation and pushes workers towards the false position of supporting certain imperialist forces in the region. This is, again, completely wrong. This is not an inter-imperialist conflict. I don't know how you end up with that position after Palestine-Israel being this long-standing issue. I mean, this is like a parody of the struggle that we've had with trying to get people to understand that the war in Ukraine is an inter-imperialist war. Trying to reduce Palestine to some puppet of Russia is absurd, or puppet of China is absurd. And I mean, I could elaborate on that. I think it is plainly obvious. If people really need that explained, I guess we can go into that. But moving on for now, point three, the real tasks of the communists and the working class boiled down to an open struggle against chauvinism, racism, and religious reaction on the part of both Israel and the Palestinian Islamists. So right now in this moment, Israel is bombing hospitals and churches where people are taking shelter and getting medical care. Do you really think that the struggle against chauvinism, racism, and religious reaction is outweighing the need for immediate survival? This is the worst possible time. You know, again, time and place, conditions matter. During an emergency, during a crisis, this is not where you run with this. So, no, the struggle against chauvinism, racism, and religious reaction does not disappear, but it gets bumped down the priority list because if you don't survive, you're not going to be able to wage that struggle. Continuing, communists must oppose Israel's militarism and hypocrisy, but they also must sharply disassociate themselves from the Islamists and condemn their actions. Hey, sincere question. Have you actually read the positions of any of the left-wing groups within Palestine, because I feel like this is not what they are saying. Because they're in that situation doesn't make them correct that what they're doing is best for their long-term interests, and you might disagree about what's best for their long-term interests. But you have to support their right to make that decision and at least maybe engage with it in good faith. I don't think that they even really ran a critical analysis of what left-wing groups within Palestine are even saying or why they're taking the positions that they are right now. So the whole thing is just hugely abstract, and just as far as condemning their actions, there are missiles being fired at them right now. So anyway, four, communists and class-conscious workers on both sides of the front need, to, again, both sides of the front have dramatically different conditions. Gaza is an open-air concentration camp without food, water, internet, or electricity. Israel is a wealthy, imperialist-supported country. And now you're saying communists and class-conscious workers on both sides of the front need to seek contact with each other, build cooperation, agitate for international worker solidarity, and reveal the truth about the true nature of the warring parties. Again, do current conditions warrant that kind of peacetime activity, or is this an emergency? So this criticism, to the extent that it might be appropriate for peacetime, except this isn't peacetime, makes... Politsterms sound like an organization that can't tell the difference between wartime and peacetime. 5. The main goal of the peoples of Israel and Palestine at the moment is to create and strengthen their own communist parties which could lead the movement of the workers in these countries in the struggle to overthrow capitalism and build a socialist system. So again, they've completely swept aside the question of does Israel have a right to be in that area or is it an illegitimate colonial power which is the position from my understanding of most of the Palestinian groups. So if you're not going to engage with what they're actually saying, this really makes you look armchair and just really awful. I'm telling you for your benefit, because I think Paul Stern does do a lot of good work. This did not go over in the comments. And then when I read it, I was, again, my jaw dropped. 
Anyway, continuing, specific tactics for resolving the Arab-Israeli issue. So again, this isn't the Arab-Israeli issue. If you don't say Palestinian, that's another form of erasure of this genocide. So don't do that. We'll be prompted by circumstances and conditions. This tactic will be jointly developed by the communist parties of Israel and Palestine with the support of communists of other countries. So again, are you aware that there is a history here? And these parties have been in communication and dialogue for a long time now. This conflict just didn't drop out of the sky. It didn't flare up yesterday. I just don't really see that being taken into account. The, so continuing, the main thing for them is to launch a fight against chauvinistic and religious propaganda, establish contact with each other, and create powerful communist organizations. Okay, well, at the moment, Gaza has no internet. So, you know, those are the kinds of conditions that they're dealing with. Um, continuing, ultimately, the conflict between Israel and Hamas is in line with the general crisis of the imperialist system and the growing contradictions between competing blocs. So again, I have to object to that because this crisis predates 2008 or anything about the current age of crisis. It comes before even neoliberalism. So yeah, that doesn't fit. Continuing, once, quote, extinct conflicts are flaring up with renewed vigor. Are you calling this an extinct conflict, Palestine-Israel? Because that's not supported by history at all. Large states are participating in proxy wars, secretly and openly supplying the warring parties with weapons, money, and information. One local conflict after another breaks out in the world. As the struggle further intensifies, the number of such conflicts will only grow. Events in Ukraine, Kosovo, Karabakh, the Middle East, and other hotspots reflect the crisis of the imperialist system. But again, the main thing here is you cannot reduce Palestine-Israel to one of these things that is just breaking out and popping up like in the last 10 or five years. It goes back like a century or, you know, at least 70, 80 years in its present form. It has taken on some new dimensions with the, you know, current decade and situation that we're in. But the roots of it, which are still manifest in the current conditions, go way back. Anyway, continuing, the confrontation between various blocs and individual countries is intensifying, showing the complete inconsistency of statements about the progressive nature of a multipolar world. Couldn't agree more. Doesn't This situation, though, is not a good example of that. And trying to make it one when it isn't actually does a disservice to the already very difficult task that we have of trying to explain the multipolarity not being progressive. So this is actually making that harder, Okay. As before, on both sides, ordinary people have died, are dying, and will continue to die, workers and their families. Comment, yes, that was the case even when left-wing groups were engaging in armed struggle in decades past. So that's part of the nature, unfortunately, of war in a settler colonial type of situation with urban warfare and civilians in Israel being used to do land grabs and the Israeli state, you know, as an expansionist settler colonial state, just as the United States has, you know, well-documented, done in the past for its westward expansion, used average citizens to go grab land for the country. Well, Israel is doing that, and they're putting civilians on the front lines of doing the dirty work of, of all of this expansionist effort. Palestinians fighting for their lives, their land, their literal houses are confronted by a colonial enemy, a very aggressive and very deeply indoctrinated enemy, by the way which is relentless. And as they wage struggle, due to the nature of the situation, their targets are not always conventional ones, at least as we've seen from inter-imperialist war. But again, this is a decolonial struggle, different. 
That's in no way trying to say violence against civilians is good. It isn't. It's a war crime. You can't come out and say, that's good. You don't do that. The reality of anti-colonial struggles, though, shows that the occupying force oftentimes does not present itself in such a neat black and white way. And it is not always possible for the people trying to defend their lives, their land, their people from colonial takeover. Though they might try, they cannot always limit the violence to conventional targets. And again, that is Israel putting itself in front of the Palestinian people as an aggressive, hostile force using genocidal rhetoric. The only way to ensure zero civilian deaths is by not fighting back when facing genocide. That's not an option. And it's a situation that only the occupying colonial genocidal power is responsible for. Anyway, finishing this up, as before, on both sides, ordinary people have died, are dying and will continue to die, workers and their families, the bourgeoisie, strives to strengthen chauvinism and nationalism. Again, Palestine keeps losing land. I'm, I'm not sure these people really have their finger on the pulse. Palestinian civilians, including children, are being targeted and hit by Israeli military force. I just, this is the article you come up with? I don't understand it prevents the peaceful resolution of national conflicts and pits working people against each other. Only socialism can change the situation. Again, this is three or four steps down the line from literal survival. I'm very disappointed myself. I hope that people within term do not widely adopt this line, but criticize it. I don't know where this came from. I don't know if this is just an editor, just a director of term. It's not signed. I don't know if this is the whole party line or just somebody wrote it for their media thing, but I would really be interested in hearing more about that. Again, in my opinion, way off the mark and kind of presents a black eye to the organization. All right, so that's it for my comments here. Um, you know, it's sort of a depressing note, I think, to leave off on. This conflict is horrendous. You know, I talked about it a lot in the stream I just posted yesterday. It's traumatizing to even watch anything like this happening. As the saying goes, witnesses to violence are also victims of violence. And, you know, if my my criticisms here are intended to be constructive, the situation I'm talking about, though, is an emotional one. You know, we just went through a year and a half ago the Russia-Ukraine thing, and, you know, about half of the self-styled Marxist-Leninist world decided, hey, Russia somehow isn't an imperialist power in a Marxist-Leninist sense. They very clearly are, but, you know, we had that whole discussion, and I don't want to do it again, but on the opposite side, calling a very long-running national liberation struggle against colonialism as some kind of, you know, new flare-up in the inter-imperialist war. This situation in Palestine, again, long-running, well-established history, and I had one random person in the comments, literally one so far prior to reading this article, who even attempted to present this as some kind of inter-imperialist war. Politsturm was sort of the last place I expected that to come from, and I think I'm probably not alone in wanting more of an explanation and, you know, some correction on this issue. I think what they've said here is indefensible and misleading. And again, I say that for, you know, maybe the third or fourth time as somebody who generally holds their organization in high regard. All right, we're going to leave it there for now. Thanks for listening. Again, this is a difficult subject, but I appreciate people's efforts to engage with this in a positive and constructive way. If the social revolution actually ever breaks out on, I mean, if we survive that long as a species for social revolution, for the class struggle to get that intense on a global scale, what's happening in Palestine 
I mean, any one of us could become the target of that. When the Bush and Cheney administration spearheaded the global war on terror and started just calling everyone they didn't like terrorists, I mean, the class struggle at this point, the labor movement at this point, left-wing political parties at this point are not of sufficient threat to the system where they need to do that, but that's why they have sharpened all these weapons for eventual use when the proletariat does wage that struggle. But again, thanks for listening. Questions and comments down below. And let's thank the patrons and buymeacoffee.com supporters, whose names are on the screen, for kicking in their financial support, keeping this channel non-commercial, viewer-supported, and giving me enough time that I can actually make videos like this and help to facilitate this conversation, which I think is so important right now. Beyond that, whether you're a patron or Buy Me A Coffee supporter or not, engagement counts, like, share, subscribe. All of that helps YouTube to recommend this content to more people. And finally, don't forget to get organized. Agitation and education can be done online. But in the end, the class struggle happens in real life. So connect with your local left, network with local comrades. When bigger struggles break out, it's going to be good to have those contacts. And getting in touch with local left political parties and union support organizations and other things probably will clue you in to things going on in your area or county or state that could benefit from your support and involvement, but you might not even know that they exist unless you get into your local left network. Thanks, and we'll catch you in the next video.